the Underdog Podcast from SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty. Welcome back to the Conference USA edition of the Underdog Podcast. With the uh, NFL Draft this past weekend, thought we would just kind of spend about an hour or so diving into that, do some reaction to that, what Conference USA guys got drafted, who didn't, and uh, just chatted up generally about the underdogs who are making their way to the next level of football. Uh, before we dive into that, though, um, if you go back to the post on underdogdynasty.com of our previous episode of the podcast with um, Andy Morgan talking about UTEP football, you will find a link where you can donate to the victims of the uh, hurricane in Ruston uh, last week or the weekend before. Uh, Thankfully, no uh, fatalities in that. However, significant property damage to the city and the surrounding area. So uh, if you can swing it and you want to help out with the folks dealing with that situation, uh, please consider doing so. And you can do that through the link at underdogdynasty.com. Um, so with that, we'll just dive into it. Uh, Joe Lonergan with you as always, and with Mr. Eric Henry. How you doing today, bud? Doing a okay, sir. Cannot complain. It's another beautiful day here in paradise. It's starting to get a little warm here in the Sunshine State, so it's uh, it is still paradise, but it's getting a little warm. But I can't complain. Good to hear, man. It looks pretty nice for the most part in Nashville when I was watching the draft as well. Although I guess I think they had a little bit of weather, but how crazy is it that, like, from every shot that I saw, especially the first, like, day and a half or so, it looked like it was just a madhouse. Like, I, I know the draft is, like, a big thing, and I enjoy watching it as much as the next guy, but, like, there were so many freaking people at that thing. That was really nuts to me. Yeah, I don't want to get too off topic, but that city, Nashville, really put out a showing uh, the reason I said I don't want to get too off topic is because I've always been skeptical. I have friends of mine from college who have moved to Nashville, and they always say, oh, you got to visit. And I guess I'm a little spoiled here as a Floridian. You know, I don't think of Nashville as necessarily a tourist destination or somewhere that I should be in a rush to visit. But darn, if they didn't put on a great show, and, you know, maybe it is a tourist destination, because I'm sure you heard about all the bachelorette parties who were <laughs> unwitting um, uh, NFL draft uh, cohabitants as well. But uh, all in all, yeah, I mean, Nashville put on a great show, and it just looked like it was a one just grand old party. So congrats to Nashville. Yeah, you know, for uh, <laughs> not to generalize, but I mean, let's let's be honest, this is true. For a lot of the Midwestern white people who like to pretend they're rednecks on the weekends, uh, Nashville has become a pretty big tourist destination, which is uh, which leads me into the whole thing of the bachelorette party. Did you see any of that on, on Twitter when they were talking about how, I guess, bachelorette parties got – interrupted by this whole thing uh first of all i'm gonna leave it to joe to make the uh the confirmation to a uh uh pseudo redneck white people i'll leave it to him to take the lead on that i'll just uh play back here but yes i did see the the um the uh, the hubbubaloo or well, much to do about the bachelor parties and I, I found it pretty funny you know what i mean like i guess um trey wingo from espn went on like a, a pretty funny rant because he was like hey uh there was a bachelorette who said hey um, I'm cutting my husband off like no football, no nothing because my bachelor party was ruined. And I totally agree with Trey Wingo when he said, if you aren't cognizant enough to check a calendar and say, hey, what could be going on? And which you naturally would when you're planning a vacation, right? Like what might be going on during my um, bachelor party, my, my event of choice? If you can't check a calendar and know what the draft is going on, that's on you. So, you know, don't take the NFL away from your soon to be husband because you failed to check that out. Just join in on the party. 
That was so funny that when that girl said that, like, I'm blaming my husband for this. And I just found that hilarious because, like, it simultaneously made no sense why it was his fault. But also as someone who's been in a monogamous relationship with a woman for a long time, I'm like, oh, no, actually, that makes perfect sense. (laughs) And yeah, of course. And I will stand by what I said with, uh, yeah, (laughs) because that's every single girl from my high school in Ohio that I went to and they know it and own it. So yeah, that's natural for you. But I mean, it looked like a good time. It's, uh, it's, it's crazy that it turned into as big of a party as it was, but, uh, still looked like a, looks like a good time. I, I wonder if they'll try to continue that momentum with other cities. Cause obviously they did it in New York for a long time. They did it in Chicago, which it's, it's hard to do, uh, depending on the time of year in Chicago, but Nashville found the formula, so we'll see. Well, I mean, two things. One, uh, I you write all the things you said about Nashville. Looking forward to seeing it myself because I'm hoping to uh, make it to Nashville this year to cover the FIU and Middle Tennessee State game, and I've got a old college friends in Nashville, so I'm looking to crash with her. Secondly, you know where the draft is next year, right? I don't. Where is it? Vegas. So they're going to continue that momentum without question. Why? Okay, that'll be a thing. <laughs> God, um, what one more thing on the on the broadcast of the show? I did you think it was funny that like all the players that they brought up to uh, announce the picks were just milking the hell out of it? Oh God, I loved it. You know, as a, a Floridian, you know we tend to have our own unique swag. And Reggie Wayne, being a former Miami guy, even though he's from New Orleans which that's a whole nother swag in itself, but him going, getting up there and saying, you know, just milking it with the uh, Tennessee fans I thought was awesome. I, I love, I love that type of thing, man. I, I love it when I think the draft was in Philly last year, I believe. And, you know, uh, the Cowboy greats, former Cowboy greats who went up there and did their thing. I, I'm Joe, I'm all for the wrestling heel in sports. You know, I like that person who in, it takes the black hat and says, sure, I'll be the bad guy. Um, felt a little bad for Jim Brown thinking it was 2013, but you know, Hey, uh, life happens. Yeah, I, I noticed the Jim Brown thing. I was like, oh, that's kind of sad. But the Reggie Wayne thing, I was like, okay, he's setting the – he was kind of the first one, I think. And he definitely set the tone for everybody that came after him. And they tried to get him riled up in the same way, and it, like, just didn't work. It's like, it's like, yes, where are my SEC people at? For someone said, and it was just like, woo. And I was like, no, Reggie Wayne did it best. That was really funny. He was like, come Without on, we beat, we beat y'all every damn year. And I was like, oh, thank you. <laughs> to, to tie it into Conference USA, too, um, this is Josh Scobie announcing the Jaguars' third-round pick. With the uh, 69th selection in the 2000... 2000- I thought that was hilarious. Like, he, he knew what he was doing there. <laughs> I, I, I missed that. Uh, first off... Okay, once again, I don't want to get too you know far on a tangent here, but Joe, are we are we stretching the word legend here? Because as a native uh, of Tampa, Florida, Trent Dilfer was one of the Tampa legends, and my dad, uh, as a child, I grew up with my dad cursing Trent Dilfer the day he was born, as Trent religiously threw the ball to the other team. So are we stretching it with legends? I mean, Josh Scobie was a nice kicker. Now, granted, a, a CUSA um, uh, you know grad, so we're proud of him there, but. Um, was uh, Tony Baselli not available or Mark Brunel? That's fair. I honestly, I meet by legend. I mean, former player. Let's let's say right, that. <laughs> right, <You're> right. <laughs> fair enough. 
Um, but I thought that was funny because he 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 had a, he was on a mission when he walked into that because he kind of like I think he thought he was looking into the camera, but he was like kind of looking off to the side and he kind of like his eyes like looked up and he raised his eyebrows. I was like, "Yep, that's." I mean, with with, with, with Gronk retired, someone's got to pick up the uh, the uh, slate there, and uh, Josh Colby went ahead and did it. <laughs> it's like the Highlander. There can be only one guy who makes sixty nine jokes in the NFL. Oh, gosh. That was funny. Um, but to kind of dive into why everybody's here, I guess, uh, Conference USA draft picks, there were six, including two from FAU. And uh, believe it or not, that's only the second time that FAU's had two players drafted in the same year. Um, Devin Singletary went in the third round, 75th overall to the Bills, and Kareth White Jr. went in the seventh round, uh, 222nd overall to the Bears. Um so to start with Singletary, at first I felt bad for him because Buffalo already has like a ton of running backs in there. But I think if he can play the long game, which admittedly is not the easiest thing to do when you're living in Buffalo, New York, he might be okay because realistically you have two guys in Frank Gore and um, Shady McCoy who have been around for over a decade. So the uh, biological clock, as it were, is kind of ticking down for them. And if he can hang around, I think he might be able to kind of secure some playing time in there. But um, kind of a crowded running back room for Devin Singletary as he starts his NFL career there. Yeah, but you know what? I'm going to take the opposite position, Joe. I made this point. It wasn't on this podcast. I actually made the point to Jake Elman on Twitter. Uh, Jake Elman, who was the FAU beat writer for the Palm Beach Post. Mm-hmm. I thought that Motor took a lot of carries in college. And being a graduate of the University of Central Florida, the first person I point to is Kevin Smith, who um, George O'Leary essentially ran to the ground. I think he had 460-something carries his final year at UCF and, and his NFL career. Well, he, you know, hung around for a couple of years. He was just beat up, you know. And, and the, the link for FAU there is Kevin Smith is now currently the uh, running backs coach at FAU and coach both Motor Singletary and Kareth White. So to bring it all the way back around, I kind of like the idea of him getting a chance to learn behind two of, quite frankly, the game's best to ever do it. And then, you know, maybe by his third or fourth year, he can extend his career a little bit. You know, you don't see too many running backs, especially um, in this day and age, playing in, in you know, 10, 11, 12 years. And he's got two guys in front of him who have managed to do that. So if he can learn from those guys, but more importantly, uh, not have to shoulder the load as quickly, I think that'll play well for him. I definitely don't think it's a bad situation for him. I think – uh, I don't know. I guess I was kind of of the mindset that he'd get picked up by a team where he can kind of be, you know, two deep or three deep immediately. And he might not necessarily be that right now with Buffalo, but I will agree with you that in the long term, this could be a really good situation for him. Yeah. And, and one of the things that I like, I don't know how you feel about it. One of the things that I like about motorcycle games, is his game isn't necessarily predicated on speed. It, it's really having, seen him up close in person uh, against UCF and against FIU. His game is really predicated on shiftiness and, you know, center of gravity and being low to the ground. Things that I think will play well in Buffalo because, you know, when you start getting to that, uh, those winter months and, and the weather isn't exactly great, you don't necessarily want that guy whose game is a, is a speed guy. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it's funny. My, uh, my girlfriend is a huge Bills fan and our house is decorated with, uh, mini helmets and, and sign balls and that kind of stuff. So uh, when I told her I was covering a Bills guy, she was like, ah, interesting. Um, but um, 
with Kareth White, though, going to the Bears, I can see him maybe making the three deep behind uh, Tariq Cohn and Mike Davis there. Um, so I think that's kind of an interesting situation for him. They are not in the same kind of scenario that Buffalo is in terms of having a million running backs in the roster, but I don't know. could be interesting. It, it's not the same situation where uh, you have – it's not the same long-term situation for, for Kareth White in Chicago, but could play well for him. Yeah, once again, I think it's a very good situation for Kareth White. They just traded Jordan Howard to Philly, and one of the things that I, I like personally is that they've got Tariq Cohen, who was a guy who I liked coming out of North Carolina A&T, but a lot of what Kareth White does kind of fits well in being that you know, kind of quick scat back, someone who can catch the ball in the backfield, who can return kicks, do you know, a myriad of things. So I think, quite frankly, I think he'll he'll he's a great value pick for the Bears, and I think he may get – uh, a little bit of playing time immediately because someone's going to have to tilt the rock behind uh, Tariq Cohen, who is is not the biggest back in the world. He's about five six, two hundred and five pounds. So not saying he can't, you know, take the the pounding of being the number one back, but uh, you definitely want someone to share the load. So hey, uh, Karis White, it totally looks like he made the right decision in coming out. Something that uh, may have been a little bit questionable being the backup behind Motor Singletary, but you know, all's well that ends well. For sure. Not a bad draft at all for the FEU Owls. And uh, the Old Dominion Monarchs also had a great draft with uh, two players drafted. And not only that, it's the first two players drafted for that program in its history. Uh, O'Shane Zimenez went in the third round, 95th overall to the Giants. Uh, Travis Fulgham, sixth round, 184th overall to the Lions. Uh, we'll start with uh, Zimenez. I like this pick for him because if you look at the Giants roster – they really have no real threats when it comes to pass rushers there. So I think he has a real chance to not only make the roster, but like make the one or two deep relatively soon. I've just got one comparison for CUSA fans, maybe listening and I guess NFL fans as well. OC Umanioria, uh, when he was drafted by the Giants, he was a, if my memory serves me correct, I want to say third or second round pick. So in that similar range that uh, O'Shane was drafted in out of Troy. At the time, I think they were Troy State. You know, and if my memory serves me correct, Troy was, uh, I want to say they still were Sunbelt at the time. But, you know, a smaller school guy, um, really dominated against that level of competition. And he came in as a pass rusher behind Michael Strahan. And outside of that, he was only the only real option there. And he had a nice NFL career. So I really think that's going to be O'Shane Zimenez. I've been telling some of my family and friends who are Giants fans that are horribly upset with the pick of uh, Mr. Jones, uh, Daniel Jones. Thank you. I had a brain fart on his, on his first name there, but they've been horribly upset with that pick. I've been telling them, like, look, you got a really, really good pass rusher in O'Shane Zimenez. So once again, couldn't agree uh, more with you. I think it's a great pick, and I think he's going to have a nice career there in uh, New York. Was OCU Manure that long ago that it was called Troy State? I'm going to look it up as I'm on the phone with you right now, but I, I am 100% sure they were at Troy State at the time. Wow. That's, uh, that makes you feel old. Um, well, yeah. Yeah. Uh, 2003 NFL draft. So they were, damn, it was really 2003. Dear God, we're old. Um, yeah. It was, they were at Troy State at the time. Huh. That's weird to think about. Um, with the other Old Dominion player that got taken, though, uh, wide receiver Travis Fulham, uh, once again, he went to the Lions. Definitely tough to uh, stand out there with uh, with the wide receiver core that they have, um, even with them losing Golden Tate. Um, but uh, so it could be interesting for him. But uh, like I said, he will probably have some issues 
getting into the the situation where he'll be playing a lot in his rookie year or even down the line. But um, I don't know. I'm I'm uncertain about uh, that situation for him. I think it's a good pick for the Lions. Obviously, they I think they got a good player, but I think in terms of him really finding a niche there, you know, it's I'm not as certain as I am about some of the other guys that got taken in this draft. The positive is they, the Lions do have a great quarterback, or well, maybe great. That's uh, playing a little loose with the words there. They have a solid quarterback situation with Matthew Stafford, so at least they have someone who can get the ball in his hands if he is, you know, getting playing time. And once again, congrats to, Dra- to Travis on being drafted. It's just weird because throughout the season, I kind of thought that Jonathan Duhart was actually the guy um, who had the most NFL potential. But you know, hey, Duhart ended up being a, a undrafted free agent, uh, Fulgham gets drafted and, you know, wish him nothing but the best. But, yeah, he, he may struggle in getting immediate playing time. And one of the things when you're a late-around pick like that, you're going to have to do is play special teams. And uh, who knows if really his, his skill set, especially as a receiver, you know, it, it's kind of odd. Um, those guys who are so used to catching so many passes in college, it's not like they're spending a lot of time, you know, tackling and, and being a gunner. So we'll see if maybe um, he can, you know, get a look at doing some of those things or he'll just have to work his way up the, the receiving depth chart. So. We'll see how it plays out for him in Detroit. Absolutely. And uh, moving on to a guy that you were really high on going into this draft, and that's uh, Nate Davis out of Charlotte. The offensive lineman went in the third round, 82nd overall to the Tennessee Titans. What do you think of that situation for him? Love it. It's nearby. You know, Nashville isn't too far uh, from Charlotte. So I think it's a great situation. I think he is a very much a value pick. I had a chance to ask. Uh, former FIU defensive lineman Anthony Johnson who signed as an undrafted free agent. Uh, or actually, yeah, yeah, AJ was an undrafted free agent. I couldn't remember if he was a UDFA or, or a minicamp invitee. But I had a chance to ask him who were some of the toughest linemen who we played against in conference, and one of the names he mentioned was Nate Davis. So I think it's a great pick for him, and I think, especially as a guard, I mean, he's got great size, you know, great run blocker, paved the way uh, for Benny LeMay there at Charlotte. So I think he's a great pick and I, I think he'll get some, uh, some playing time there and, and, you know, probably contribute immediately with, uh, the running backs there as well as Marcus Mariota. You think he'll be, uh, uh, a starter at some point this year, or do you think it'll take a little time? No, I, I mean, if you look at the, the, the measurable, excuse me, the measurables on him, uh, he's a guy who physically is ready to go immediately. So I think he'll, he'll start, you know, maybe not coming out of training camp, but at some point in the, during the upcoming season, I think he'll be a starter. Okay. And uh, staying in the AFC, Jalen Ferguson was the uh, was the other pick that we wanted to touch on out of Louisiana Tech. Defensive end went third round, 88th overall to Baltimore. Uh, Cyrus pointed this out in his article for UDD earlier this week. Um, and that's that with Ferguson being the new NCAA leader in career sacks, going to Baltimore, he actually replaces the old one in uh, Terrell Suggs, who recently retired. I think that's kind of poetic justice, but um, I also think that's going to be a good situation for him. Um, I think Ferguson really kind of fits this this new mold for NFL pass rushers, which is kind of the quicker, leaner guy, <laughs> as my, my cat comes in to disagree with me. But, uh, <laughs> but I, I think he's got the, the physical assets and, uh, and just like the overall quickness to kind of be an effective pass rusher. So... Hopefully they give him a shot because I think he could really be an asset for them. Once again, just another value pick. Uh, you know, you make the point Cyrus made about T-Sizzle, Terrell Suggs. Uh, actually didn't retire. I think he's in Arizona, if my memory serves me correct. 
uh, trying to get another paycheck. Or two. Yeah, try and get another paycheck or two before he uh, rides off into the sunset. But I, I don't know how you feel about this. I'll pose the question to you and then you know, offer my premise. I think part of the reason why you get these decorated pass rushers, guys like O'Shane Zimenez and Jalen Ferguson slipping to the second or third round. I mean, part of it is, you know, they don't run blazing four fours, maybe aren't combine freaks. But another thing is, it's weird. You can put up these great numbers, and I guess teams kind of think you did it against a lower level of competition. But my personal opinion is I think pass rushing is one of the things that really translates well to next level because, I mean, you either got it or you don't. I mean, sure, there's some guys who are going to be exceptions, guys who just for one reason or another don't pan out in the NFL um, who had, you know, outstanding decorated collegiate careers. But when it comes to sacking the quarterback, it always kind of – for lack of a better term, rubs me the wrong way when I see guys who maybe have, you know, better combine stats, um, who only had nine or ten sacks in their entire collegiate career, go ahead of guys like Jalen Ferguson, who, like you said, he set the NCAA mark for sacks in a career. Yeah, um, it should be. I, like you mentioned, it's it's a shifting era i guess when it comes to pass rushers in the nfl it used to be the biggest strongest guys were the ones that succeeded or at least someone who or at least big strong guys who were able to have just enough speed but now it's getting to the point where these guys who have the long arms who can separate themselves from offensive linemen and who have the quickness to kind of get around um that's who's having the most success right now and i think he really fits that mold really well um, so that's all the draft selections from Conference USA. And before we get into uh, some of the other Conference USA players who have found their way into the NFL through undrafted free agency in the last couple of days, uh, Eric, you wrote a quick thing for the site over the weekend about the one Sunbelt player that, uh, that got picked up, and that was Marcus Green, the uh, Louisiana Monroe wide receiver, who went to the Falcons in the sixth round, 203rd overall. Do you think... A, do you think he has the tools to succeed at the next level? And B, do you think he find, finds himself in a good situation with Atlanta? Yeah, I just want to, you know, pick up uh, a little Sunbelt action here. Of course, we got to show love across the uh, G5 landscape. And I do think he's in a good situation because they've had success at kind of, you know, those tweener guys, whether it's a Tevin Coleman or, you know, various guys who can contribute both as, you know, a running back, a receiver, and as a kick returner which Green has uh, been able to do all three during his career while he was primarily a receiver. Uh, I want to say he has over 500 rushing yards in his career. He's taken in all four of his years um, in the Sun Belt. He took, uh, I want to say, about 30 or 35 carries a year, uh, just you know trying to find different ways to get him the ball and get him touches. So I do think he's in a good situation. And, you know, once again, uh, it's one of those things where you just got to point to the level of competition. Um, I guess I was a little bit surprised that the Sun Belt only had one. I thought that Jalen Moore from Appalachian State might have been a guy because he's really a decorated running back, kind of in that mold of Devin Singletary. Maybe a little bit lesser of competition, but I thought he might have had a chance to get drafted. Um, but, yeah, with Green being the, the one selecting from the Sun Belt, I think he's in a good situation. And, and uh, the seating or the slot that he was drafted in might have been just about right. So, uh, all in all, you know, love to see another guy, a G5 guy, get drafted and great to see the Sun Belt represented. For sure. And I'll say I too was a little surprised that the Sun Belt only had one, especially with Jalen Moore that, like you mentioned, I thought he was one of the, one of the better G5 running backs in this draft that did not see him go is a little surprising. And you would have thought there'd at least be a couple other, I don't know, offensive linemen or something that go in this draft, but 
that that's uh that was really weird to me um speaking of surprises do we want to kind of dive into some of our uh, notable snubs from conference usa in this draft yeah most definitely i'll let you go ahead and take the lead sure so the two that really stood out to me one was jack fox um i really thought somebody was going to pick him up especially just considering you know all the hype that was around his game you know a, when he comes to punters, there's obviously only so much hype that really happens. But from what I was kind of reading about him, it really seemed like he was one of the um, more physically gifted uh, and accurate punters in this draft. And to see him not go was, was, you know, a little surprising. I mean, given the nature of the position, you know, you're going to have to wait until, you know, at least like a late day two or sometime on day three to see those guys go, but no one picked him up. And uh, he, of course, goes to the Kansas City Chiefs as an undrafted free agent after the fact. Um, but that was probably the main surprise for me. And then uh, to not see Marshall wide receiver Tyree Brady go um, was a little surprising as well. Obviously, there's a, there's a few more wideouts in the draft. But I think in terms of all of the wide receivers that, uh, that played last season, I think he was definitely in the top, you know, if not three, maybe – one or two in conference USA. So that, that was probably the biggest one other than Fox for me. Yeah. I'm right there with you on those two names. Jack Fox is a guy who both of us believe will be kicking in the NFL at some point in time. And you know, the game for kickers and punters, it's not necessarily about being drafted. It's about, you know, getting into camp, showing what you can do. I think the same thing says, uh, uh, will be said about a guy from FIU and Stone Wilson, who I didn't expect to be drafted, but Stone, uh, Butch Davis has said repeatedly in post games and after practice that Stone will kick in the NFL. So that just kind of parlays uh, that that thought as far as kickers and punters that it's not necessarily about being drafted. He's got to get into a camp, show what you can do, and there'll be an opportunity. Unfortunately, with the nature of that position, you know, uh, it's boom or bust. You know, guys mess up, and then you hit the next guy. Uh, you get him off the street, and they'll get an opportunity. And I'm right there with you with Tyree Brady. I mean, having a chance to see him up close and personal when Marshall came to FIU, physically, Joe, he's a legit 6'2", 6'3", 215. I mean, just that, you know, prototypical NFL wide receiver size that you would think, like, that's going to play well. And, and I don't know what he ran in the 40. I don't think it was something that um, would have damaged him that was tremendously slow. Um, I, I apologize for not having the number directly on me, but yeah, it was a shock to not see him drafted. And the, the other one, a guy who I think might've gotten a look was uh, UTSA star linebacker, Josiah Toafa. Um, just because he racked up the tackles, you know, and, and uh, I'll let you kind of get into this a little bit because I have strong thoughts about it as well. just want to ask your feelings on it pretty quickly. Uh, Toafa is a guy who left early, you know, and unfortunately you see a lot of kids leave early and they don't end up being drafted. Not necessarily that their stock may, have been any higher with another year, but it couldn't have hurt either to have him come back, you know, A, for his ball club, and B, you know, he didn't end up getting drafted. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I'll let you kind of get into that. And a couple other names, uh, a lot of premier CUSA names end up signing as UDFAs. I'm talking about guys like um, Mequon Dean, Trey Crawford, Jonathan Duhart, uh, Anthony Johnson. I'm scrolling through my list here. Broderick Thomas, Darius Harris. Uh, EJ Ajaya, Juwan Foggy. So it just goes to show you that, you know, you can be a standout talent in CUSA and uh, you're going to have a, a kind of an uphill battle if you're not drafted to come in as a UDFA. In general, does it seem like there was – I'll get to Josiah in a second, but just in general, does it seem like there were a lot of 
programs that like you wouldn't necessarily really think of like the FCS teams and the D2 teams that snuck one or two guys in there. And then you had uh, more programs like the ones you mentioned. And then even some other power five programs that just didn't have anybody taken in the draft this year. Like it, does it seem like more, more of those smaller programs sneaking in there? Could not agree with you more. And I think that, and I'm really glad you made that point, Joe, I think that plays into the guys who are from the smaller colleges. And listen, you know, we cover G5 football, so we're not going to begrudge a smaller school, a D2 or an FCS guy getting drafted. But I think you have guys who maybe get to the combine and light it up, and that pushes them so far ahead onto the radar that uh, they become kind of a trendy, exciting pick as opposed to that steady guy, maybe a CUSA or a Sunbelt, who maybe doesn't light up the combine, but has put up solid numbers in three or four years. And with those, you know, 10, 12, 15, 20 guys from those smaller schools being drafted, that's 20 spots from a Conference USA team or a CUSA, uh, excuse me, um, a uh, Sunbelt team who doesn't get drafted. So, yeah, I think it's a great observation on your part. Thank you. Um, but uh, with Josiah, I kind of feel the same way in that I was a little surprised that nobody took him. I think he was definitely a big bright spot for UTSA the last couple of years, as many issues as uh, they've been having. But uh, he gets an undrafted deal with the Giants for $110,000 guaranteed money. If that's not the largest UDFA contract in history, I'm not sure what is. Feel free to correct me on that, by the way. I want to say that's up there. Uh, I was talking with uh, Jared Kalmus a little bit earlier about this today. But um, yeah, I don't know. In terms of coming out early, I don't begrudge him for it. Just some people don't like college. Some people want to you know, get to the professional experience that they've trained for faster. Um, so I really don't begrudge him for that. And I mean, he's, he's getting a shot, $110,000 for, you know, uh, basically going to a, a training camp. If that's all he lasts, that's not chump change at all. Um, but I think it's a good situation for him with the giants also, because like I mentioned, we were talking about Jalen Ferguson, that defense really doesn't have anybody that, you know, you would write home about or whatever you want to call it. But I think for him, that's a pretty decent situation, all things considered. Um, but of course people are going to have something to say because he came out early and didn't get drafted. Uh, but I mean, personally, I think it, when you consider all the elements, I don't think it's a too bad of a situation for him. I'm going to respectfully disagree with my co-host here. It's not necessarily that I think it's a bad situation for him, because like you said, he's getting the opportunity to play the game that he loves. Uh, he's getting a check. But let's let's take a look at that $110,000 here. And I haven't seen it verified, but I do believe you are correct, and that's one of the largest guarantees for a, a UDFA guy. Um, but you're going to have to pay taxes on it. You're going to have to pay your agent. You're going to have to, you know, Josiah wasn't only training at the uh, Roadrunner facility. I'm sure he, you know, had some personal trainers and specialists and guys of that nature. So you're probably cutting that in half. And, and then uh, if Mr. Uh, uh, Tofa makes a team, he's going to have to live in the greater New York, New Jersey area, which is not exactly cheap to live either. So it's one of those things where, once again, I don't begrudge him for coming out. He, he may very well fall into that situation where, you just don't like school and you want to go play football, but why not tough it out for another year? If the school thing it truly is what it is, and I'm not advocating guys don't finish their degree, but we hear plenty of situations where kids do not finish their degree, but play all four years. 
let's, you know, maybe that, that fourth year might have given him a better look. And, and if he at least gets, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh round money as opposed to undirected free agent money, that lasts him a little bit longer. And I mean, you know, y- your dad was a CPA for 30 years and, and, and uh, he clearly made the uh, 54 grand that was, uh, that was bantered about on Slack, right? Oh, when I, when I was talking about that. Oh, yeah. Cause the whole thing was, um, Javi from Rivals made the, basically made the comment of like, he gets $110,000. So it's not, it's not a too bad of a situation for him. And somebody replied that an accountant can make that in two years. And I, as the son of it, someone who was a CPA for 30 years, I was like, um, not necessarily. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, yeah. I know I, I do, sorry. Is that the, is that the end of your point? That is the end of my point. Okay. Um, well, I guess first off, are we positive he didn't finish his degree? Because you can you can finish school in, in three years. I know obviously he had a year of eligibility remaining, but did he like satisfy all the requirements for his degree, or do we know that? No, absolutely. And I, I should clarify that. I, I do not know whether he did or didn't finish his degree. I'm just saying for the sake of the argument you were making, which is maybe he just hated school. Um, there are plenty of kids who don't, but I, I do not want to you know, say that Mr. Tuafa did not finish his degree. So we don't know on, on record. He had another year of eligibility left, and that was my, my bigger point. Gotcha. Um, I'm pulling up his bio right now to make sure just because it's going to bug me. Um, but while, while you're doing that, you know, I just want to get your thoughts on the other point I was making, which is 110K guaranteed. I mean, that's nice if it's you and I and we're not trading for the draft, but we uh, also don't have to pay an agent or a trainer or everything else that I'm sure he's going to have to pay out of that check. Yeah, I mean, New York's in, uh New York and L.A. are interesting situations when it comes to taxes because you're going to pay so much of it. So obviously that part sucks. And, you know, there's a one in, or a two in 32 chance or whatever it is that he's that he was going to end up in a situation like that. But I still think, and you know, so obviously, yeah, the money situation is what it is. And you're going to have to pay people off either way or pay people off. Sounds bad. You're going to have to repay people for services provided. Um, but I just think in terms of like overall playing time, I think he ended up in a situation where he has a pretty decent shot to make the team. He's got, you know, enough money to kind of, you know, start off, I guess. Um, Things certainly could be worse for him. And, you know, I don't know what his feelings on the college experience were. Obviously, if you wanted to finish up early, then there had to be some negative feelings there. And by the way, he he did graduate in December. Um, So he he did get his degree. Um, But I don't know. I I guess my overall feeling on the situation is, yeah, he is going to have to pay some of that back. But given the fact that it's more than most of these guys are getting, who just statistically not a lot of them are going to make the team or are in situations where they're facing a really uphill battle, I think he came out okay. No, that's fair. That's fair. It's just, I guess my, my broader point is that I, I don't want to, you know, just bank on that 110 grand being like, you know, hey, that's going to be the be all end all because I mean, <laughs> this is going to sound pretentious. I've probably made 110 grand in, in, you know, four or five years of working uh, since I've left college. So, I mean, I, <laughs> I, I, at some point in time, so it's not like that, you know, life changing money. No, I, I, I get what you're saying. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's, you know, for this particular situation, I think it'll, I think it'll, at least he has a decent chance to make it work for him. But I think before we go any further on that, this could just, this could just devolve into a, a, 
conversation on tax laws and how they vary state by state very quickly. And I don't think our listeners would, you know, stay awake long enough for us to get through that. Here, here's the only tax law I need to know. Mr. Londrigan pays a state tax and I don't. Yeah. Thanks, state of Oregon, for uh, <laughs> making me eat ramen noodles for the next month or so. Tax season, everybody. Um, anyway. Cat, what is the problem? <laughs> My cat is... <laughs> Anyway, um, get a job, Cat. God. <laughs> um, so we'll move on then to other notable undrafted free agents that uh, got picked up in this draft. Uh, you mentioned McQuan Dean, and as a WKU guy, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention him. He was actually the only uh, WKU Hilltopper that got any sort of NFL opportunity this weekend. He's going to the Seattle Seahawks. I really thought there would be one or two other guys from that program that would get something, uh, notably Furby or DeAndre Ferris. But I don't know. I can't really blame uh, NFL teams for passing on some of those guys. WKU's had a rough go of it the last two years or so. So it is what it is. But I think Dean um, definitely has like the body type to succeed as an NFL tight end. And uh, I think when you kind of look at historically, I think NFL teams know that WKU has a habit of developing good tight ends. So why not give them a shot? Some guys will be better pros than they will be collegiate players. And I think he's in a phenomenal opportunity. When I saw he was in Seattle, I just thought he's got a real shot to make that team and make an impact. So I'm right there with you. Right. Like, I think – They've Seattle in particular has had pretty good success with tight ends the last couple of years. You look at Luke Wilson, you look at Nick Bennett, and they all kind of have the same kind of body type that Dean does. They're they're tall, they're uh have pretty good wingspans, they're more pass catching tight ends than they are blocking, and that's really what we saw uh Dean be both in, in JUCO and at WKU. So yeah, I think given all the, the things that happened with him not getting drafted and all that, that's not a terrible situation for him. Um, but obviously, as a Western fan, would have liked to see a couple more of those guys go somewhere. Um, and as, as Joe shouts out one guy, I guess it'd be remiss if I didn't shout out one guy. So uh, I did shout out Stone earlier, but uh, Anthony Johnson and C.J. Warden, you know, they get uh, uh, shots at the pros. C.J. Warden heads the Atlanta. Anthony Johnson heads the Tampa Bay. Um, I think Anthony Johnson is a guy similar to Michael Andine, who uh, maybe will have a better pro career than he did college collegiate career. So uh, best of luck to all those guys. For sure. Um, one other program that had a, a loan signing that I wanted to make a note of, Southern Miss, uh, Picasso Nelson Jr. Uh, going to the Jacksonville Jaguars alongside some other COSA products. Uh, but that's the loan guy for USM. And uh, UAB, on the other hand, had a lot of UDFA players, 13 so far, which is crazy to me. Uh, most notable is probably Xavier Ubosi. Uh, the whiteout is going to the Pats. Lots of success for the uh, defending conference champions this year. You know, it's interesting because we're talking about guys who weren't drafted, and UAB was no doubt a very, very good team. And I think despite the fact that they didn't have any draft players or players drafted, I think this is indicative of just how far that program has come from being shut down to what Bill Clark has built and that they just were a very deep team. 
And, you know, eventually we'll get into uh, season previews and talk about how much they've lost, but I think this is indicative of it. So, um, yeah, you know, talk about Xavier Yabosi getting a shot in New England, Jamel Garcia-Williams, Broderick Thomas, uh, Anthony Rush, just a lot of UAB Blazers who, you know, two or three of those guys are going to stick somewhere. So I think the overall theme of that is, hey, just great job, Bill Clark and the Blazers by uh, getting that program back on track and putting so many pro caliber players out there. Absolutely. Uh, a couple other teams with multiple pickups. North Texas getting five undrafted free agents. Uh, Marshall had three with Brady, Malik Gantz going to the Pats, and then Ryan B. to Washington. Um, those are all the ones that I wanted to be sure we made a note of. Um, obviously, like you mentioned, I think there was like 30 Conference USA undrafted free agents. There were, I don't have the exact number. I mean, just because of when I took down my list yesterday, obviously names were still coming in and it was still a fluid process. But um, I have just on my sheet here, I've got like 28 names and then guys who I didn't even take down like Jack Fox. Um, I, th- I don't have Malik Gant here on, on my list. So yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely over 30 guys. So that just goes to show you once again, the depth and the talent of this league. Yeah. Yeah. Um with that, with just the like with with thirteen UAB guys getting undrafted or getting undrafted free agent deals, rather, it's nuts to me that at least one of them didn't slip into the regular draft somewhere because that's a lot for one program. At, at, at least that's a lot for one G five program, anyway. It is a lot, but when you look, I mean, let's let's you know take a step back here. Was there anyone on that roster who you really thought was a lock? I mean, we did, you know, our big uh, joint draft preview show with the fellows from uh, Joe Talk, and we only named about five or six guys who we thought really had a legit shot to get drafted, and that ended up being the number. Um, Not necessarily that we don't think that some of these guys won't play or stick at the next level, but in terms of, you know, draft and all the things that go into it, uh, I've mentioned combine freaks. You know, you're going to have guys whose numbers pop out on 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 paper. Um, was there anyone on that roster who really stuck out, who stood out to you and said they'll get drafted? I mean, the only guy who I thought maybe might slip in there was Jamel Garcia Williams, just because of his sheer size. Um, a lot of solid football players, none who I would have said are locks to get drafted. I I wouldn't say it was a lock, but I thought Ubosi was going to get drafted probably. Um, okay. I don't know. I guess I guess I'm just conflicted here because you you are right. There's not really any name on there that uh going into this draft I was like I'm dead positive they're going to get drafted, but I guess just to have 13 guys from the same team get undrafted deals but nobody actually drafted, that just seems like a weird contradiction to me. Hmm. I I see your point because you're essentially saying that they had over a dozen guys who are worthy of bringing into camp, but not one was worthy of a selection. And I, I do see your point there. That does seem a little bit hypocritical. Just a little bit. Um, but I mean, again, stranger things have happened with, uh, with college football for sure. I mean, like we mentioned, there's, there's guys who from, you know, D2 schools and uh, sometimes even smaller programs than that are coming over from international leagues. They get drafted. So I, again, weirder things have happened, but just seeing that number, that kind of jumps out to me in terms of, you know, this league. Um, I think that was, that was all I really had for undrafted free agents. Was there anybody else in that pool for you that really stands out? 
No, I mean, once again, just looking through the list, you know, guys like Nate Brooks, um, you've got Chandler Brewer, you know, a bunch of guys who, um, um, well, you know what? Hey, let's talk about one name really quickly, and that's uh, Aziz uh, Alshair. He's a oh, yeah. guy who, who probably, if he doesn't tear the ACL, probably sneaks into the draft. I'm sure you agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I, I think I made note of that on the uh, draft podcast. Yeah, so so that's the name as I'm just running through this list here. That is the one guy who, who you know, hopefully he recovers and, and uh, listens to his potential because he's a guy who was a tackling machine and should be playing on Sundays. Yeah, yeah, that's probably fair. Um, did he didn't get an undrafted deal, correct? No, he did. He did. Um, yeah, uh, I wish I had the team on me. Uh, Jake Elman reported it. I just don't have the team on me, but he he did uh, get a shot. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And that uh, if you don't have that massive uh, leg injury, the 49ers is where he went. Um, there you yeah, go. You don't have that energy, he's, he's definitely getting drafted and, you know, competing for a roster spot somewhere. But uh, we'll see. Um, that was all I really had. Yep, same here. Cool. Um, sick. So with that, we'll go ahead and wrap up then. Thank you all so much for listening once again. This has been our reaction to what happened in the NFL draft as it relates to Conference USA. Uh, You can follow us on Twitter if you like at uh, J-O-E-H-I-O underscore for me at Eric C. Henry underscore for Eric and uh, follow at Underdog Dynasty on Twitter as well. Like us on Facebook and check out the site every day for more G5 football goodness. If you haven't already, subscribe to the show, leave a review, and uh, tell us what we can do better moving forward, obviously, with the off-season stuff. We're very open to feedback. And uh, just with the way the iTunes magic works, it uh, helps us get bigger. So uh, thank you all so much for that, and uh, thanks again to our producer, Taylor Bauer. Uh, One thing we wanted to make a note of before we wrap the show, it's a developing situation as we record this with the shooter in Charlotte, but... Uh, understand there are fatalities. So if you are on Charlotte's campus, please be safe. Uh, You are in our thoughts and um, we will probably address that further as we know more on a future episode. That we will say happy football watching everybody and uh, come back soon. 